Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. What if I told you that I could help you craft the perfect story every time? Would you be interested? Of course you would. This is the Storytelling Lab. Now, what if I told you that there is no perfect story that just exists out there in the space, right? But it is more about finding your perfect story for your perfect audience. Would you then be interested? You should. But let me tell you, even though it sounds simple, it ain't easy. But lucky for you, that's exactly what we're going to talk about with today's guest. What's up, storytellers? Welcome back to the Storytelling Lab podcast. Today, my guest is Karen Eber, and Karen has written the perfect book called The Perfect Story. It comes out, lucky for you, October 3rd. That is just days away, and you can get your hands on this book. Now, here's the thing about Karen. First of all, she's a fan of mine, so let's just all take a moment right there to celebrate that, right? Okay, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll let my ego subside. No, Karen is so awesome. We're fans of each other, and we establish that in the show. We give each other praises, not for the whole time. And she comes from a leadership background. Big companies, lots of employees, understanding how to transform culture. That, my friends, is not an easy task, but that is exactly what can be done when you understand how stories impact the brain and how you can deliver them in a way to inform, influence, and inspire your teams, your communities, and your audience. That's exactly what this book is about because she has taken all those lessons that she's learned over the years in big organizational structures and making them create cultural change, which is like, like evolution, it can happen so slowly at times, but she's understood how to do that effectively by engaging people's brains through the power of story. And now she works with people to understand how to do that for anyone, for whomever your audience is. It's about finding the perfect story for your perfect audience. Karen says, whatever works is what works for you. And this is something I've been a drum beater that I've been banging quite a bit myself lately because we all get caught up in, well, what's the perfect story structure? What's the perfect story length? What's the perfect tool to use to tell this story? What's the perfect, so, you know, you probably are nodding your head right now because you've asked yourself these questions or you've had people you work with ask these questions. These are not the questions to ask. The questions to ask are, how do I resonate with someone in an, on an emotional level 
that inspires them to take action, whatever that action might be. Karen goes on to tell me about the five factory settings of the brain and how you can hack them, right? You can hack them and others to get them to latch on to what you have to say, the communication, the messages that you have to deliver to them, and for them to receive it in a way that they can apply it and take action with it. That is everything. Whether we're trying to do that with our teams, in our business, in our commercial enterprises, or whether we're trying to conjure up a community around the thoughts and perspectives we have on life or the world or the work that we do in the world. I have talked to a lot of people about the brain science, the neuroscience behind storytelling, but I don't know that anyone has made it so simple to understand as Karen does. And that's probably why she has a viral TED talk uh, on that topic exactly. Now you're going to get a lot of that information and value right now. So here is my conversation with Karen Eber, and I hope that you love it. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, award-winning filmmaker and writer, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and my job is to help you deepen your connections, increase your sales, and serve your audiences better. Every Tuesday morning, I send out a quick storytelling tip to my newsletter subscribers. I show you techniques I've learned along my journey and used in my own stories, as well as those of my clients. But most importantly, I leave you with tangible takeaways that you can apply to your brand storytelling immediately. Oh, well, actually, more importantly than that, it's free. If this would help you, sign up for the newsletter at rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. Hello, Karen, with the Hi. denim jacket. Yes. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is so excited to be here. This is a dream of yours. You told me before we started recording, right? Was that what was it? Totally. <laughs> I, you know, I started by stalking you and then uh, hoped one day you would respond to my messages. And here we are. I don't believe that. I, I mean, that's very sweet of you to say, but like you're killing it. I'm so excited to read your book uh, that's coming out. And I'm just I'm very, very impressed with the work uh, that you're putting out in the world in our space. And if that is true, it makes a fellow feel really good, I gotta say, because I look up to you in the work that you're doing. And if you're if you're sincere, which I have no reason to believe you're not being Karen, it does mean a lot that you say that. I am sincere. I don't do platitudes and I don't blow smoke, but I too am a fan. Um, just from as I, I mentioned earlier before we were on the air, I found you through your podcast. And before I even saw who you were and connected with you, it was like, oh, I love the questions you're asking and I love what you're bringing forward and I love your businesses. So, yeah, completely a big fan and um, cheering you. you on. I appreciate that. And, and I think it was a while ago when you found the podcast, which also makes me feel really good because you know how these things go. Like, you kind of just put your stuff out there and you trust it and you have faith that finds the right people. And every now and then you get validation that it is finding the right people. And that makes me feel really, really good. Uh, Cause for a long time, I mean, we're still not a big show, but we're doing decent numbers now, but for a long time it was, you know, very small, but specific uh, audience that we, that we were um, reaching. And so, yeah, that, that makes me feel good that, that, that you say that about the show. Um, we got a lot to talk about. Um, 
how did you get in this space? Let's just start with your background. And you know, I come from the documentary filmmaking world, so that naturally led to storytelling. What's your world? What's your background? I, in my personal life, told stories, which that's a whole story we can get into. But in work, I was in roles of head of leadership development, head of organizational culture, and in these places where the employees that fell in the businesses I was supporting were like 90,000 employees in 150 countries. And organizational culture doesn't change or evolve or shape unless a person thinks about like, what does this mean for me and what do I want to do? I found stories were such a great way to connect with people that you can never see in front of you and you can never touch and have them get these experiences that were much more dynamic than just values and think about what to do. So throughout my career, I've been in these positions where I'm trying to persuade people that have budget and maybe two people can say yes, but 98 people could say no. And I found stories slowed their no and it saved the world from boring meetings. Mm, I love that. So you don't just start off going head of leadership development for uh, a company is that large. Like, is that the path you intended to take? Like, where? what was the step before that or a couple of steps before that? Yeah, I don't know anybody's on the path they intended to take, but my background is psychology and how you apply it to work and how you make people perform better. And I started out as an instructional designer, designing adult learning and training and uh, HP and was a consultant to HP. And then that evolved into, well, there's more than just training, there's performance issues. And then I moved to Deloitte and was mm -hmm. doing the same thing and then moved inside the firm to consult to Deloitte on how they were developing talent for the future. And at the time, Deloitte was building a brick and mortar university. And so I got really involved in that. But expanded it into what is that life cycle of the employee from when we're recruiting all the way through when they leave mm -hmm. and how do we think about how to help them be better and so it just always kept expanding from first how do we help people learn to everything is in learning and what do we do to make it better and then from Deloitte I went to GE and was in the chief learning officer role and head of culture role and spanned businesses let's go back to earlier you said something like i'm gonna paraphrase but you keep me in check if i if i misrepresent your what your words and what you said you said something along the lines of organizational culture doesn't change or doesn't isn't created unless someone intentionally does it is that fair or, or more or less what you're saying maybe not intentionally because there's okay. a lot of people that behave in certain ways that shape culture that maybe they don't realize right so if yeah. you um, let's say someone says an offhand remark in a meeting and nobody addresses it. That then makes that statement okay or acceptable yeah. because no one addresses it. Is that intentional? Maybe, maybe not. But mm. what I find is to intentionally shape it in the ways that we want, you have to bring it front of mind for people and help them recognize, hey, if someone's making an off-color remark, you need to stop that. You need to address it. There's ways we can call each other in and make people understand what we want to reinforce. So why is that so important, right? Because if I'm going to play the the, the business-minded devil's advocate here, uh, you know, I want to understand why, you know, what culture, why does culture matter when I'm focused on the bottom line? Why do we need to transform culture or create and establish a culture. Yeah, I think it's what so many companies are grappling with now. Some of it is in the lens of where are we working? Are we virtual? Are we in person? Some of it is in the lens of how do we restructure our business based on the economy? Um, 
you can drive to the bottom line, but have a whole lot of casualties on the way mm -hmm. because you're pushing people to work beyond any type of balance or anything that's healthy. You're having maybe leaders and teams that are being not at a minimum, not having any trust and, and feeling like people can do the work, but they're nervous about the work. There's no psychological safety and there's a cost. It's a waste of energy. You know, I like to say that energy is our fixed commodity, not time, because we all have the same 24 hours, but we spend them differently based on our interest in our energy. So if you're working in a culture where you don't feel like you can make mistakes, you don't feel like you can push back, you're afraid to um, admit to something or raise something that you think isn't right, all of that energy is going not to the work, but to managing how to go through the day, which is just a waste of energy. When you have a culture where I do feel like I can say, hey, Rain, I saw this and I'm concerned about it. Let's talk about it. Or I made this mistake. Can we talk about it as a team and think about what to do different and what we learned from it or share lessons learned? That energy is now going to the work and not the way work is done. And so these little things are managing the energy, which is our fixed commodity, which creates all the difference in the bottom line. Because if you want to get the most out of your bottom line, you want all your energy going to the work, not to the way work is done. Mm, mm, mm. That's such a great point. And I'm, I'm feeling that now with the, the business that I'm working on. Um, and, and speaking of that, okay, so we just established the why of transforming the culture. I'm I'm uh, working in a startup right now. We talked about it briefly. I know you're aware. Small team still, very small team. So my next question is when? When is the time, the ideal time to start having that conversation? Is it when we're scrappy and we have five to six to seven people? Is it as you're scaling? Like, when do you have this conversation? Because what I see from my experience is it's very easy for things like that to just get pushed to the side because we're focused, we're trying to survive. We're trying to keep our heads above water or, you know, figure out the business model. Yeah, it's true. Most people do push it off because so often as you're growing, you get opportunities to sell your products and services and you are just all in because okay. it's taking every hand that you have. But in that, you often have some bad behaviors, maybe... Um, there's not the place to, to say, hey, we're concerned here because we're driving so hard to what's happening. And so what you want to do is implement the habit of, you know, maybe it's every day, maybe it's once a week, have a quick standup of what's working, what's not working. What is one thing we should stop doing? Those mm. three questions are huge. And then if you're in the leadership level, ask, what is something I need to hear but don't want to hear? And Ooh. really mean it, really mean it. If you can start doing that and create this environment where people can say those things and feel comfortable saying those things, then they're, it's not hard when they say, okay, Rain, let's talk about this. I really didn't like this. And you're like, all right, thank you for telling me. Let's figure it out. That's a whole lot easier than someone not saying anything and that festers in two months from now, it comes out in a larger issue. And now it's not just tweaking a behavior. It's having to do something completely different. So- the smaller, shorter habits are going to be so much easier, whether that's, you know, five minutes a day or once a week, those quick check-ins will make all the difference and make sure that as you're growing, you are being intentional about what's working and not working. So in your own journey and, and, and the roles that you were filling in these companies, you just started to realize, like, did you bring this knowledge of stories with you from the past or did you start to 
just realized it started to reveal itself like hey this is the way that is the most effective when i am when i do this it was like a b testing when i do this it works when i do this it doesn't work so when i was a child i told a story that created a really big shift for me and it made me realize i can tell stories that are going to not only change perspective but shift energy so i have a brown eye and a green eye and the question you get so quickly is do you know you have two different color eyes? <laughs> like I could see the moment where people would be talking to me and I see their eyes going back and forth and then they oh. slow and whatever they're saying comes to a stop. And that's like, did you know? To which I'd be like, no, really? And this is my favorite thing about me. It's always made me feel like I was special and I loved it. But after this happening every day and multiple times a day, and then they're like, hey, come over here. You got to see her eyes. Like you, this thing that you love about yourself becomes this burden mm -hmm. and you become weird for it. And I grew really tired of it. And it, it always turned into this really elaborate script that ended in how did that happen? <laughs> and I told them that I was born with brown eyes and I was in my room coloring one night. You know, you've that big box of crayons where you have the perfect ones, the broken ones, the peeled yeah. ones. I was coloring and dinner wasn't going to be for a few more hours. I was hungry and I took the green crayon and I sniffed it and it, it smelled pretty good. And I took a nibble and it didn't really taste bad. So I ate it and I liked it. And so I ate every green crayon in the box. And the next day I woke up and my eye was green. And then I'd be quiet. And every single time people are like, do I believe, like, is she for real? And what happens in this moment is a complete energy shift. It goes from me being this side circus act to being this human. And I let them off the hook of, no, I didn't eat the crayons. But it creates this different energy and engagement. And people would always laugh and they would realize they had asked me so many ridiculous questions. And it became something that they remembered me for. And it created this connection that we never would have had if it was just a hi, nice to meet you. And so I recognized in this of like, these aren't just things that you tell to start a presentation or when you give a toast. It's a way to connect with people differently. So as I moved through my career, when I saw leaders who didn't have the approval to say yes, saying no, I would try different stories to expand their thinking, to challenge what they understood and to see if we could create shifts and then you start doing it and, and, you know, it's compounding as you well know, and you do more of it. How old were you when you were doing this? <laughs> uh, when I told the crayon story, yeah, I think yeah. I was five the first time I told it, but I've told it my entire life. This is incredible. Like we could honestly stop the show right there. Like that is, I'm just, that's amazing. It's, I'm that, blown away by that. That is yeah, that's incredible. And what you're doing there is kind of like a, um, I don't know, verbal, mental, psychological judo, if you will. Yeah. You know, judo, you take their momentum and use it against them, kind of. And like you said, all these people are coming at you. And But I love the, it's it's more heartfelt to say that you've now established this connection, but you totally flipped the script on it there. Yeah, and, and I just want to comment on one thing. I see a comment that says that's the title of a book, Eating Green Crayons. That is not the title of the book. The book is the perfect story. <laughs> But there is a green crayon on the cover. <laughs> oh, is that what the green crayon is? Thank you. Yep. It's a subtle, you know, you get it when you read it. But oh, yeah, no. yeah, that's oh, the I green think crayon. Brian's saying, Brian's saying that that is a potential book. That's the follow-up. That's, yes. that's, your, that's, your, yes. that's your next one. That's right. Um, okay. Well, that leads us to... <laughs> 
I've, I've ruined you for the morning. It's so good. It's so good. All right. Okay. I'm going to use one of your lines here, sort of influenced by one of your lines. I love the, the thing to the leader. What's something I don't want to hear, but I should, mm -hmm. I need to. So what is something that people in the business space get wrong about stories or storytelling? Uh, the first, I think the most common is that we tell the stories that we want to tell and not the stories that the audience needs to hear. So we have our favorite stories and experiences, you know, our greatest hits of maybe things that happened to us or that we just are tickled by that like, oh, let me tell you. But that might not be what is important for your audience to hear. And it ends up being like the, the uncle at the holiday table, which it's always an uncle for some reason that's like telling their story on script. And when you start with the story, that's going to happen. But when you start with your audience, that doesn't happen because you always want to center on who are you talking to and what is it that you're trying to have them experience and feel? What is it that you're trying to have them do different? What is a, their mindset today and what might be a potential obstacle? You might take the same story and tell it differently to every audience you speak to. And that's why the story always starts with the audience. I want to I want to stay on storytelling and kind of leadership. I mentioned this to you b uh, before um, for the next little bit. I'm really curious because and I say this all the time. You may have heard this before of how uh, storytelling is kind of a marketing buzzword or it gets misconstrued as a marketing tool when it's not It's a communication tool. And yes, you can use that for marketing and sales, um, but Everything requires communication. Any kind of collaboration and connection with another human is going to require communication. So it can be for anything like leadership. Yeah. The other day or a couple of weeks ago, I gave a, a storytelling workshop or speech to a client of mine that's an electric company, an electric co-op. And it, it was a leadership co a little conference they do once a month. Um, and But there were people there from all different parts of the electric company so there was accounting there were linemen there uh informant there were um membership services i mean everything that took to, for this electric company for a couple of counties in eastern north carolina to run were there or different you know leaders from different departments so it's not and there were people that did their social media as well like the people who i think storytelling gets kind of like misconstrued as it's a marketing thing use it to you know make instagram posts or tiktok videos or email newsletters only right yeah so how do those people like like for example it doesn't have to be specifically you know um, a lineman right of a crew um but someone like that that's in kind of a more i don't even know i don't want to say normal job that sounds weird but you know what i mean not not in like speaking and storytelling and filmmaking not in an art that's a way we can put it because it's often like Oh, it's an art. How and why do those types of jobs and those types of employees and employers use storytelling, leverage storytelling to be better leaders, to create better culture? Like, I know this is a big question, but like, let's get into that topic a little bit when it's not just I'm writing or creating a video or a paragraph that is uh, using a storytelling structure. So let me give you an example. Okay. The Navy SEALs, do you have any idea what their... Um, pass rate is for their boot camp training for their seal training no that's a good question ridiculously low it's like 20 percent. really really hard and if you go to coronado where they they do seal boot camp they tell you that they have markers of um failure 
they can tell by maybe acumen or physical fitness or just energy right away. First day, like they can pick out who is not going to make it through because they've done this so much. They have almost a profile of like, yeah, I know. But they also tell you they can't predict success because they don't know what a potential seal is going to be putting together. Like maybe someone is fulfilling a lifelong dream or honoring a loved one, or maybe someone just has really insane grit and is going to make it through. And so while it's really tempting to think we know exactly what you have to do to be a seal, we don't. We can weed out some things, but we don't know. You can't prescribe the Navy SEAL has to have these things because we just don't know what they're going to put together. I've used that with leaders to recognize how they need to be developing their people. You don't know what someone is going to put together to meet a desired outcome, to meet a goal. What your job is as the leader is to give the outcome. Here's what we expect of you. Here's what we need you to do. How do you want to get there? Because each person is going to put their strengths together in different ways to get there. I've used that with HR to talk about how we have to be careful with competencies and how we have to make sure that you're not being so prescriptive on what has to go into a job description that you're weeding out people that would be able to get there in different ways. So a story can just broaden perspective and, and shift thinking and that has nothing to do with me. Now, it's personal because I'm telling it and there's a reason why I'm telling it and I'm going to tell it differently than you would tell it. But you can use these to like crack in a little bit of oxygen to help a group stop and, and maybe pause or think differently or consider some different things. It's not limited to a stage or any specific big moment. It can really help people just reach a different understanding. And it's okay to tell personal stories in a professional environment. Yeah. So what I always say is personal doesn't mean private. Every mm. person has their own privacy barrier of what they're going to tell. Like, I don't really tell stories about my family. Very, very rarely will I. And if I do, it's usually about me and not them. Um, but for other people, they love to tell stories about their family and that's completely mm. fine. So each person decides what is private but every story is personal because it's being told by you. You are bringing something to it. Even if you're telling someone else's story, it, we should have your perspective in it. So you can tell a story about your family and that is totally fine in business. You can tell a story about someone else and it's totally fine. The goal is to make it personal and figure out for yourself what's private. Hmm. So at what point in your career... Did you really uh, understand that this was that this started as a side thing for you when you really started going into teaching and like spreading spreading the gospel of storytelling, if you will, separately from using it in your own uh, in your own uh, profession? I was always using it in my profession. Then at a certain point, I started to get asked, can you do a session for our customers and clients in some mm. of the different companies I was in? Because they were like, how do you do this? Can you, can we do this as a nice special incentive for them? And then more leaders started asking me inside Deloitte and, and GE, how do I do this and how do you break it down? And then the big catapulting pieces when my talk went on TED.com, that exploded and that became much more of an interest from companies on let's break this down because we do recognize this isn't just a marketing thing. This is going to help our engineers communicate their data more effectively and help our finance be a little more creative and help HR connect with people in different ways. And 
people are recognizing, especially in this changing world, this is such a helpful way to get communication. This is a core leadership skill. So the TED Talk was a big catapulter, catapulter into let's really help people break down how to do this and make it accessible. And that wasn't that long ago, right? When were- yeah, I did the talk in 2020, the week before the world shut down. I was about to say, and then, fun. <laughs> yeah. And then um, January 2021, Ted put it on TED.com, and then it just took off. That's so awesome. Yeah. How, did that, how did that feel? Wild. Yeah. It, it grew very quickly. And then um, when things happen that quickly and that big, you get all sorts of messages. People like reaching out from all over the world, sharing their stories, their problems, oh. wanting help. You know, like it, it just was wild. It still is. I still get messages today it's- that I just think is like so cool when people take a moment to reach out. I mean, I'm sure you feel this with the podcast too. Yeah. And I also had something similar to that. Um, years ago, I wrote a piece. The first thing I ever got paid for for writing was for the Huffington Post. And it was a little bit controversial, um, but in a heartfelt, like in a, it served a bigger purpose. It wasn't just to be provocative, but, um, but uh, it shook up my little small town in Eastern North Carolina. <laughs> but I still get very sweet messages about, about that piece. And uh, it, yeah, it's like, you want to, it's not, I was going to say it's a gift and a curse, but I think that's too harsh to, to say that it is definitely more of a, a, a gift completely. Did you uh, feel when that happened, did you feel almost like people coming into your energy? Like you could almost feel a physical interaction yeah. with people you haven't met? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, that's the piece of storytelling I don't think people get. Like, even when you're telling something or sharing something at one time, mm-hmm. people feel it later and you somehow experience that. It's a very, weird woo thing but is very true Mm -hmm. absolutely and so i'm assuming uh i want to talk a little bit about the book uh since that's coming out soon i'm really excited about that especially now that i know the origin of the green crayon you do Uh, you're on the inside secret yes and everyone else and the world listening right now Uh, but i I also really love the simple cover like the cover is is choice very very well done um but even better now that i know the the little little wink wink behind the behind the image um I'm assuming, like, was that already in the works in your mind, or did Ted, you know, the TED Talk really push that into uh, existence? It's a interesting. I reflect on this a lot. So, 2020, we went into summer. We're in the pandemic. The talk had gone on the TEDx site, but wasn't on TED.com. Mm-hmm. And that summer, things were a little slower for me, and so I started reaching out to people that I knew in different ways to interview them because I was. I, I remember saying to each person. I don't know exactly how I'm going to use this. I would love to use it in a book as like an interview vignette or a piece of an article, but Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly sure. So there was something and I had an outline, but it wasn't this active, like I'm working on this book. Right. Um, But within a week of the talk going on TED, I had agents knocking on my door and I was like, well, I have an outline. Let's go. And then those interviews grew and I added more. And so at the end of each chapter, there are these fun interview vignettes that are a chance to walk in the shoes of people that tell stories in different ways. So like an executive producer of The Moth or someone that worked at Pixar or even a physician or a, a guy that writes stories for video games, like you get their world for 500 words, which is just fascinating. And it shows there are so many ways to do this. That's helpful because I knew that it was something like that. Um, uh, That's just like just a very small palette cleanser at the end of the chapters. The rest yeah. of the book takes you through the whole process. 
what are the common threads between the different types of storytellers that are that uh, emerged? They learned to become great. It wasn't like they came out and had the most perfect stories to tell right away. Yeah. Um, most of them have a very strong hand in editing because they recognize uh -huh. that they have to really work at their stories. And in fact, we, we share one of the people I interviewed was Dr. Paul Zak, um, who's just a delight to the storytelling community and we are all fans of. And he talks about how in some of his articles, he will do like 70 versions, which wow. I heard and wanted to throw up. And then at the same time, it was like, okay, get it. This is what it takes sometimes yeah. to really zero in on stuff. Um, yeah. And ahead. that's probably, well, that's probably a reason why, like when I first was like, uh, you know, I've been a storyteller because my background is in film filmmaking, but I didn't really start uh, you know, you like working in that space and calling it that until I don't know, 2017 or so. And so when I was like diving in and immersing myself into the space, learning as much as I could, because I knew I wanted to start kind of helping my audience with that based on my, you know, perspective and, and experience as a, as a documentary filmmaker, um, I'm just researching, reading, listening to podcasts, articles, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's a reason why when you just start, Googling storytelling, Dr. Paul Zach's, uh, you know, content and Harvard Business Review articles kind of rise to the top there. That's probably one of the reasons is that he put that much, you know, effort and energy into writing, you know, great pieces. Well, and I think what is so interesting about his work is that he reinforces this idea that it's not enough to tell a story the way you tell one makes a difference in how it's experienced. And so like one of my pet peeves is when people say, we're hardwired for stories. <laughs> no, we are not. If we were, every story would be the most engaging, captivating thing. But a lot of stories are terrible. It's not that we're hardwired for stories. It's that you can tell a great story that takes advantage of the brain and dynamically leverages these things there. But when people say we're hardwired for stories, to me, that's like saying I'm hardwired, hardwired to run a marathon. Like, sure. But if I don't train, it's yeah. going to be awful. And so I think that he's really doing some interesting things in the neuroscience piece that help us see where it's evolving and how you can really captivate, which is just fascinating. He's also just such a sweet guy. Like such he's so a nice, nice. Guy. and you know he wrote a, a a blurb for my book. I think he did for yours as well. Um, and he's so and I, supportive of the entire yes, storytelling community. Totally. Like he didn't have to do that for me. Like right. even when I first reached out to him, I was just starting the podcast. He was like my first big guest that I was like. Oh man, like I was super excited about it. everybody else before that. No shade to them that they were just like local filmmakers that I knew, right? And I could yeah. just be like, hey, so and so, come on my show. Uh, but I like crafted an email for him and I was so excited. But I've seen him the way he acts since then. And you just said the word, he's so supportive. I've seen him commenting and, and shouting out plenty of people in the space. Very sweet. I want to take a moment and, and, you know, we're giving him his flowers. But since we had talked about this before and you've used this platform, yeah. talk to me just a briefly about uh, immersion and like and how you've used it. What exactly it is for those listening, because I think it's really important um, because it's such a cool platform. But I had never really understood how it worked, if you don't mind. I don't mind. And I don't work for the company. So if I misrepresent anything, <laughs> I apologize. Uh, so Dr. Zach is a co-founder of Immersion Neuroscience. And this is the idea that you can measure um, 
really the economics of attention, meaning how immersed is someone in something and what is the predictability of them taking action, spending money or whatever. So if you think of a movie trailer, is the movie trailer put together and edited in such a way that you were like, we need to buy tickets today? Or is the... Um, song really interesting and engaging um speeches from leaders you can see mm -hmm. where are you losing your audience where aren't you so they use smart watches to measure capillary changes in the skin and they can go moment to moment to see where are the oxytocin levels rising and dopamine where's that cocktail um humming where there's engagement and you can actually see and where does it fall off so i did license the platform for a period of time. And one of my very early tests was um, I was on the phone or I was on a Zoom with someone and I was measuring myself and we're having this conversation, having a good time. And then the internet cut out and I went and I went to go and she joined back in. It was fine. I went to go look at the report at the end and it was all really high, really engaged. So they use color systems. It was all very green, very positive. And then there's this moment where it just completely cuts out and I had to go back and look at the call. The moment where it cut is the moment where the internet went out. And so what happens with the oxytocin and dopamine is that we don't will it. it the levels are elevated when there's connection, when there's trust, when there's empathy, all of these things that are happening when there is engagement and story. And so the platform is a way for any person to be able to measure this and predict what is the likelihood of someone taking action or making a decision or making an investment, like all of those things. So now if you're a big retailer, it's a lot less risk. You can plan the economics of, is this working the way we want? Can we run some different tests and see what is going to create the most engagement? Hmm. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's so exciting. They're doing amazing work there. Um, I want to go back to, you had said something about the, you know, the hard, we're, we're hardwired for stories and there's a lot do of, do you these... like that? Or are you, Not... are, I'm, okay. What? You don't claim that, do you? I probably did at one point, but I've learned, I've grown, you know, this is yeah. how, this is how we progress as people. Um, no, I mean, I usually fall in the, like, I typically can see both sides. I understand what people are saying when they right. say that, right. but you're hundred percent right. Like it doesn't just mean I can wake up and do it. I think the way I would probably flip it is we all have the capacity to tell great stories and or be creative. When I was talking to the linemen mm -hmm. uh, at the electric company, they don't consider themselves creative or storytellers. And then I just flipped it to them as, and was like, well, it's not telling a story like this fluffy, heartfelt thing. It's like, tell me about a time when there was a problem that you overcame. <laughs> and then they did it perfectly. I'm like, yeah, you just told me a story. Right. And if you're trying to inspire the people working for you, that's what you would do. So, um, yeah, we, I, I think the marathon example was really good. Like, yeah, your body can do it. <laughs> if you train for it, it can't do it today. <laughs> you know, you would be in a world of hurt yeah, if you did. Listen, <laughs> I play soccer every week. I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, fit, at least from cardiovascular perspective. I ain't getting out there and running 26, two today. Not right. a chance, not right, a chance. Right. So absolutely. But I want to dig into a little bit of these kind of cliches and tropes since you kind of, you know, tipped your hat in that direction. Yeah. Um, and I've been starting to look at that and see some of these, you know, the people in our space that we know that we love. Is right? this where we start talking smack? Well, why not? Kidding. A little bit. Let's go. No, I want yeah. to poke holes in because who I serve and I feel like you're the same way as the people realistically, yeah. right? I yeah. always try to fight for the underdog. And so I often worked with nonprofits, small business owners, um, because I come from a documentary background. To me, what that means 
and and why I speak to the people I speak to is like, it's overwhelmed and under-resourced, right? Like you're always playing catch up. You don't have huge budgets. You don't have huge teams. And so therefore I'm looking at like simple ways to help people understand the effect of storytelling and then the simple structure of how to like execute it. Right. Like I told the lineman, this is just talking about overcoming a problem and how you did it. And what was the, the, the resolution of that, the transformation that, you know, that happened. So, I take issue with some of the the you know um, more common uh, approaches, structures. I mean, hero's journey, for example. Let's I go to the hero's the, journey. I, yeah. I used this the other day because I showed someone the 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 diagram, and I'm like, it's 17 steps. Yeah. If you're out there, and let's go back to social media and marketing. If you're creating a TikTok video or an Instagram post today. You're, you're telling me that it's for, for a normal person who's got limited budget. They're a one-person marketing team. Their executive director is like, you know, uh, making, wanting them to make a viral video. <laughs> and they're going to be like, okay, what is the, you know, call to adventure? What is the, you know, all of these yeah. like really dense and nuanced moments. And the abridged version of the hero's journey is 12 steps, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. just wild to expect normal people that aren't trying to be Shakespeare or Christopher Nolan or whatever, you know, like to to use something that complex. This is what Star Wars was based off of, one of the most successful movies of all time. You don't need to do that to be an effective leader or an effective communicator, in my humble opinion. Agree. I find that one of the challenges in getting leaders to use storytelling is they hear in the zeitgeist, you use the hero's journey. This is the model. Um, there's a few problems with it. It's very prescriptive and not every story fits neatly into it. Like, who's my guide on the side? I don't have one. And so they get to the point where they can't back their story into the pieces and they give up. So that's problem one. Problem two, I make so many mistakes that make so much better stories than a hero's journey. Not everything is nightly, nicely tied up in a bow. Um I always say to leaders, like, you're not writing a screenplay. You're trying to land an idea in a meeting. So let's give you a basic framework that you can use in any setting. And then let's show you different levers you can pull to engage the brain however you want to do it. The more complicated things like the hero's journey just raise the risk of people abandoning it because they don't know how to make their story fit or they don't see their story fitting or they have a story that isn't about a hero. And so I to make it accessible, feel like you have to give people approaches that are really accessible. It's a, such a good point. And I didn't really even think about it like that, but I know it to be true. As soon as you said it, like when they follow a model that strictly, and then they run into a, a block, a wall, they don't know how to get around that because they don't, they might not have that part in their story, right? You might not have a mentor or, or, a, you know, a guide, right? Yeah. And that doesn't mean you don't have a story just because you don't. So I think that's such a good point. If you try to stick too rigidly uh, to a structure like that, because you've been told by people like us, you know, time and time again, that you should use that. Uh, yeah, that's a limiting, that's a limiting factor for sure. I personally can't keep my place in it. Like I'm always like, what step are we on? Well, that's what, what I'm comes saying. Next? It's too, it's yeah. too, too complex much. and convoluted. Yeah. And so that, and that's, you know, I put it up and just kind of let people look at it. I'm like, this is wild. I do this for a living and I ain't using, I'm not sitting there writing my no. screenplays and stories with the hero's journey. Yeah. Right. And yeah. furthermore, I don't, this is a slippery slope. I don't necessarily want to go down this path, but there's a lot of those people creating these structures 
and models, and this happens a lot in screenwriting, like what you should do and the exact formula you should follow, that aren't working storytellers or screenwriters, right? Yeah. They're just people talking about structure. And I know people need structure, but at yeah. the end of the day, I think it's more about understanding the simple concepts and then just getting out there and doing it. Like you said, like train, you have to train it. Agree. You know, I think Pixar has a really um, elegant model, but people struggle with that in business too, because it's a little bit of the same thing of it, it um, can feel like it's forcing you in a direction. It doesn't. However, I say to people, the model that works is the one that works for you. If if Pixar works for you, amazing, use it. If the hero's journey works for you, amazing, use it. Recognize that those are very specific stories that are going to follow the same. There's a reason why every Pixar movie has the same formula right. and same thing, right? So eventually you will want to evolve to tell different types of stories. But whatever works is what works for you. Mm -hmm. And if you're not sure how to get started start with a really simple formula and then play with the pieces that help you make it more interesting and engaging love that um what can people expect from this book we've talked about it a little bit and specifically i'm trying to get at like i know that there's a lot of storytelling books out there right yeah. uh, i'm in this space too i wrote one of them and i see all, all the uh, not competition but just the different pr perspectives and approaches uh, to this work that we do, what's your unique approach? What can what, they see there that they can't see somewhere else? Yeah, what I'm trying to do is evolve the conversation by really helping people understand the science and new science differently. I feel like when you understand what's happening in your brain, not in a science class way, don't worry, you won't be putting on a lab coat. It's it's fun and light. But I feel like when you understand that differently, you then will start to understand different things you can lean into and different choices you can make in your story. So the science builds on this idea that it's not enough to tell a story the way you tell and makes a difference. And I have what I call the five factory settings of the brain, which break down the science differently to show you these are almost principles of how your brain is going to respond to information versus stories and what to do in your stories with them. So that underlies throughout the book. And then it's taking you through a storytelling process from how you find ideas to getting clear on your audience to a basic story structure to then how you are pulling on all those things and engage the brain from sequencing to senses, emotions, all of that goodness. It goes into storytelling with data. Mm -hmm. which is incredibly important and it gets into the mistakes in storytelling, how to avoid manipulating and what to um, do to navigate the vulnerability. What uh, the five factory settings of the brain. Send. Yeah. Can we yeah. dive into that a little bit? Sure. Do you, do you want all five? What? It's a little meaty. Is it? Yeah, let's start with the first couple because they right. relate to each other. So the first one you're going to recognize because it's based on the research from Dr. Paul Zak. It is the um, if you think about the nights that you come home from a really long day and you think like, I do not want to think. I don't want to make decisions. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to turn on the show that I've seen before. My favorite movie, my favorite show and just binge because I don't want to think. Yeah. Or you're in a meeting, your mind drifts off and it's because your brain is lazy and our brains are using the most calories out of any organ in our body. Most of those are going to making predictions for how you move your body and how you stay alive. And your brain never wants to go bankrupt of calories because if it goes bankrupt of calories, you're not alive. So it's always looking for how it can under, um, how it can conserve calories. 
And one of the ways it does this is the second factory setting, which is we regularly make assumptions. So our brain hates for things to be incomplete and it hates to react because if you're reacting to something, you're spending more calories than if you're responding. So your brain is continually making assumptions about the world around you, but also what people are saying, where the movie's going, what the book is doing. And so if you look at these two, you can start to recognize, okay, so as, as Dr. Zach said, you people either pay attention to you or they'll watch cat videos. Mm. So you have to think about how am I structuring my story? What unexpected events am I putting into this to make mm. the brain spend calories? How am I making sure that I'm either leaning into assumptions that it's something familiar to what the person knows, or maybe I'm planting a fully formed idea in their head or I'm challenging assumptions. So those are the first two. I'm going to pause before I go forward, but you can start to see these are things that help you recognize like, oh yeah, I can just keep in my head. The brain is lazy. How do I make it spend calories when I'm constructing a story? And that's probably going to help me pull in a few more things that will they'll indeed help it pay attention. I mean, personally, I'm interested in three, four, and five, but uh, yeah. you, if you're up for it, I'm up also, for it. You, know, you, may, you, know, you may have to get the book to get the, the real answer for this, folks. Yeah, you will. But the three, so three builds on one and two. So first is your brain is lazy. Second is that it's making assumptions. Mm -hmm. um, part of the assumption making is how we are processing information. Mm -hmm. So if you think about when you take a photo on your phone and you swipe up, you see the date, the location, the f-stop, the aperture, like all of that is stamped on the photo without you doing anything. Your brain does something similar when you're taking information through your senses. It stamps it with emotions. It stamps your experiences with emotions and it stores it in your long-term memory. So when your brain goes to make these predictions and assumptions, it's calling on what I call the library of files, which is the third factory setting that we each have this library of files of experiences and understanding. So when you're telling a story, you want to connect to what people know. You want to connect to what that understanding is in the library of files, or you want to place a fully formed idea. If I describe something as like the paperclip was a, or the, the scar was the size of a paperclip, you immediately get an image of that without having to think like, how big is that? Yeah. I'm taking what you know in your brain and just putting that fully formed thing in there and getting free thinking. So when you are writing stories, you want to connect to what people know, um, but you also want to, to help them remove the cognitive load by placing these, these images or these concepts that are just going to immediately take up space in their brain. Mm. The fourth is that we naturally seek in groups and out groups. So in groups are people, groups that we share similar values, aspirations, hopes. There's a sense of belonging and comfort and out groups are a group that we just know, feel noticeably different from. So in an in group, you know, you notice this when you walk into a room, maybe at a networking event and you're like, who's my person who feels comfortable. There's a couple reasons for this of when we feel a sense of belonging like that, we feel that oxytocin increase and it sends a silent signal to our brain of these people or this person is safe to be around or I feel comfortable and so when you're telling a story, you have a choice to think about, is my story trying to make someone feel like a member of an in-group? Mm. Or is my story trying to make someone feel different, which is what nonprofits and charities do? 
we're undergoing a hurricane right now and there's going to be tons of stories about individuals that have lost homes or loved ones. And, and you hear the story of an individual while you're sitting in air conditioning, drinking, you know, a yep. drink with ice in it. And mm-hmm. you realize, Oh my gosh, I am so different than that. And that sometimes motivates you to donate. And so it's not that in, groups are good and out groups are bad. It's that, are you trying to have someone feel like, yes, I know that I want that. I am that, or Mm -hmm. wow, I'm different or both in a job interview. You're doing both. Here's how I am similar and compliment what you do and, and add value to the team. But here's the differences, the new experiences that I add, how I'm going to elevate your thing. How do you do both? Cause that can be in the same story. And then the last is where this neural chemical cocktail at the most simple level we seek pleasure and avoid pain pleasure cocktail is the oxytocin the dopamine the serotonin all these feel-good chemicals mm-hmm. and the the pain or the the focus the ones that we want to to release for focus are adrenaline and cortisol and we know through stories that we do experience this neurochemical shift and so you also have this choice of am i telling this feel-good story or mm-hmm. am i telling a story that's uncomfortable So the opening story of my TED talk is about someone dropping their phone at an elevator shaft. That was intentionally uncomfortable to take you through that moment into this realization. So now you've got these five and you start to recognize, wow, okay, I want the brain to to spend some calories and not be lazy. And I want to maybe slow down assumptions. Um, I want to connect to what they understand in the library of files because that's going to influence the decisions. And I want to maybe make them a member of an out group in this case or an in group. And, and this is a feel good or this is an uncomfortable story. And so you start to see like, there's so many different things here that you can stop and consider when you're building your story to think about what is that experience I'm creating for the audience. I'm so glad that, that you thank you for, for giving that to, to me and to, to my listeners. Um, um, I'm really excited about the book now. I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this, not to you, to uh, like, I, I do this work so much. You're probably the same way that like there a lot of the storytelling books, you know, I, I support them. I try to be, I try to model myself after Dr. Paul Zach. Um, but, you know, I've, I know the content so much and you see a lot of it regurgitated that it's like, it's been a while since I've been excited about a quote unquote storytelling book. But mm-hmm. after you gave that insight, like uh, this makes me so excited. It's, uh, it's October 3rd, right? It is. That means a lot because what I really didn't want to do is put out another book on storytelling. And of course, we all have our own approaches. So totally. there will be things that others do. But I really did want to evolve the conversation because I do see a lot on the science. But it's things like neural coupling, which are fascinating to hear. Oh, my brain activity is similar to yours mm-hmm. as a storyteller. But what do I do with that when I'm telling a story? And so I want I wanted to give people, I wanted to take complicated science and make it not complicated so that you could think like, am I telling a feel-good story or an uncomfortable story? And no, there's a whole bunch of science yeah. behind that so that you can play with your stories. That is That comes across so clearly like when you talk and even of course now when you gave us the the five factory settings uh that's exactly how i would summarize it is like you're you're totally focused on the science but not in a way that's like not off-putting but just kind of like hard to connect with like you 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 deliver it in a simple way 
that people can understand. And so it's important because that's the why it works. It's important to know that. Yeah. Uh, but even myself and other people sometimes just kind of skip, you just touch on that. Like I even say in my presentations, when I go into the neuroscience section, which is important, I tell people, Hey, I, I won't, I won't nerd out too long. Cause I could talk about this forever. I'm excited about it, but I won't stay too much on the science and you go the completely opposite. You're like, no, we're going to stay here, but I'm going to make it easy for you to understand. And I'm going to show you why. And I just like, I am genuinely I'm very like, excited. Everybody's stretched. We're going to science and it's not going to hurt. Let's go. And it's not going to hurt. <laughs> I love that. I think it's a perfect place to, to uh, stop for today because it just teed up myself and everyone else listening uh, to want to go get the book. So October 3rd, it comes out on all platforms, I'm assuming um congratulations by the way too i'm so proud of you and, and excited you. for you like you deserve every bit of it i love your take on everything and, and you said some very sweet things to me which mean a lot uh but i completely feel the same way and not just in a reciprocal like oh no you're the best type of way no, like you. Um, <laughs> no i love your denim jacket <laughs> um that means a lot truly and i'm so joyed to be able to be here with you Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow. And that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. This podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a story coaching and consulting company that builds online education, in-person and virtual training, and digital products that help businesses master storytelling to find their ideal customers and market to them effectively. You can learn more at sixsecondstories.com and purchase the book Six Second Stories at Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, or rainbennett.com slash sixsecondstories. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.